Sea, and the usual lineup of liberal stars, John Bon Jovi, Aretha Franklin, Kenny Rogers, Nathan Lane, and Rosie O'Donnell. At 23 years of age, Monica was the youngest person in the ticket line. She had gained a lot of weight over the past few unhappy months, and she was bursting the seams of her thin, sleeveless summer dress. She felt conspicuous as she entered the music hall's grand foyer, a soaring art deco space whose proportions were magnified by mirrors of gold-backed glass. The entrance was dominated by a mural titled Quest for the Fountain of Eternal Youth, an appropriate theme for a 50-year-old president who acted as though he was still a horny teenager. Entering the vast 6,000-seat auditorium, Monica checked her ticket stub. For the first time, she noticed that she had been relegated to the cheap seats in the back of the orchestra. Suddenly, she lost it. Blinded by all the rage and resentment that had accumulated since she was exiled from the White House the previous spring, Monica turned on her heels and raced back up the crowded aisle, pushing and shoving people out of her way. I need to be near him, she shouted. People stared at her as she dashed into the lobby. I need to be near him. She disappeared into the ladies' room. Nearby, the telephone rang in the office of the Democratic National Committee official who was in charge of the night's fundraiser. I had an emergency phone call from my deputy that Monica was having a meltdown in the ladies' room, the DNC official recalled in an interview for this book. Monica came unglued. I could hear her over the phone saying the president's name over and over. Bill, Bill, Bill. The official made her way to the ladies' room and found Monica crying hysterically. Monica had been hired by the DNC to be an unpaid intern in the White House, the official said, and I was shocked when I heard that she had been promoted to a paid job. She had had bad grades in college. She had no skills. A paid job in the White House is one of the most coveted jobs in Washington. Somebody obviously gave her special treatment. I always wondered who. I handed her a tissue, and she told me, I need to be near him. I need to be near him on his birthday. I need to be up closer. Suddenly, I put two and two together. Monica had a relationship with the president. That was the only possible explanation. I had heard that several women in the White House were sleeping with the president. But I was fearful that Monica might be different in one respect. She might be a dangerous stalker. So I alerted a few people to what was going on. I told the Secret Service agent in charge that I was concerned that Monica would go running up on the stage. And I discovered that nobody was surprised about Monica. The Secret Service knew all about her. Everyone I talked to knew she was obsessed with the president. And when I say everyone, I mean everyone, including Hillary. Hillary Clinton had eyes and ears everywhere in the White House. Her main watchdog was Deputy Chief of Staff Evelyn Lieberman, a short, overweight, gray-haired woman 
who had befriended Hillary back in the 1980s when they served together at the left-leaning Children's Defense Fund. In the White House, Hillary assigned her loyal friend the task of monitoring the sexual activity of Bill Clinton, a role that helped earn Evelyn the nickname Mother Superior. Acting on Hillary's behalf, Evelyn tracked Monica Lewinsky from the first day the buxom young woman appeared in the West Wing wearing a low-cut blouse and bright red lipstick and nail polish. She repeatedly shooed Monica away from the Oval Office, and when the staff began to catch on to the fact that something was up between the president and the intern, Evelyn transferred Monica to the Pentagon. If Monica had any doubt about who was behind her transfer, her confusion was cleared up during a 20-minute telephone conversation with the president on April 12, 1996. During that call, Bill Clinton revealed that Evelyn Lieberman, a.k.a. Mother Superior, had spearheaded Monica's removal from the White House because he had been paying too much attention to her. Monica didn't have to be told that Evelyn was Hillary's chief spear carrier. After Monica's banishment, it became harder and harder for her to arrange a tryst with the president. By the fall of 1996, Bill Clinton was totally consumed by his re-election campaign, and the president's private secretary, Betty Curry, had to be extra careful to schedule Monica's visits when Mother Superior wasn't around to see the young woman slip into the Oval Office. However, in early November, Monica managed to gain entry to a fundraiser for Senate Democrats that was attended by Bill Clinton. She sidled up to the president and had her picture taken with him. This time, he was wearing one of her neckties. Hey, handsome, she told him, I like your tie. That same night, Bill Clinton telephoned Monica for some phone sex and she mentioned that she planned to be at the White House on Pentagon business the next day. Stop by the Oval Office, the President said. But when Monica showed up at the White House the following day, she spotted Mother Superior standing near the Oval Office, keeping an eye on the President for the First Lady. Not daring to defy Hillary Clinton, Monica left without seeing the President. Once Bill Clinton's affair with Monica became public knowledge in January 1998, Hillary acted as though she was just as scandalized by the news as the rest of the country. Many people found that hard to believe, and so Hillary set out to convince people that the first First Lady ever to occupy serious real estate in the West Wing of the White House, a woman who interviewed potential White House appointees, oversaw the president's daily schedule, and ran many important White House meetings. A woman who deployed a legion of loyalists, not just Evelyn Lieberman, to keep an eye on her sex-addicted husband. A woman who once said, Bill and I talk about everything. Anyone who knows us knows that we work together on everything. That such an all-seeing, all-knowing, all-powerful woman had been unaware of the existence of Monica Lewinsky. Hillary worked hard at making the country believe she could kill Bill. 
The estrangement was vital, wrote political consultant Dick Morris, for it helped substantiate the idea that they had a real marriage to begin with. And a rapprochement was essential, allowing Hillary to attract the money and political support she would need to run for public office in the future. Hillary had been interested in power all her life, but without Monica Lewinsky, she would have remained a scandal-scarred, unpopular first lady without a promising political future. It was Monica who transformed Hillary overnight into a sympathetic figure and national martyr, and it was Monica who paved the way for Hillary to become a U.S. senator. The great irony of Hillary's life, remarked Michael Tomaski, a seasoned political observer, was that she achieved her highest stature, reached her apogee as a public person, not because of widespread admiration for something she had done, but because of public sympathy over something that was done to her. Part 1. The Big Girl Chapter 1. The Impossible Dream January 21st, 1998. The big girl was buzzing for breakfast. In the pantry on the second floor of the White House, the harsh metallic noise caught the staff off guard. One of the butlers glanced at his watch. It was several minutes shy of six o'clock in the morning. Something was out of kilter. As a rule, the president went to bed late and got up early, while the big girl, as members of her inner circle called Hillary Rodham Clinton, went to bed early and slept in late. Come to think of it, none of the personal staff could recall a single occasion when...